The Way Out podcast, episode 181. That's my first childhood memory, was my mom getting, doing drugs, selling herself. 12 years old. The worst thing happened to me. I was hanging out with my cousin, who's, who lived about four miles down the road from me. And uh, she was my best friend. And I lived on the river, we we're gonna go swimming. And we were walking and like I tripped over a log. I was playing one of those little Game Boys, you know, the old school Game Boys. Yeah. And I tripped over a log and I fucking, the Game Boy flew. And I was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't go swimming today. Like I just feel off, like, I just feel like something's not right. And she was like, come on, there's four of us. And of course I went along with the crowd. Um, right. We go swimming. It was her, myself, a friend of ours, and my little cousin, who was like four years younger than us. So she was like eight. Anyways, we're swimming and we're swimming in the water's like only up to our ankles. Not a big deal. So we just keep walking down the river, sandbar to sandbar. And finally I just was like, okay, this is dumb. I'm gonna set this stick down on the sandbar. I actually ran it back to the sandbar, set it down, just in case we would need it, right? Right. <laughs> hmm. So the next sandbar we got to, we walked off the, and the sandbar just collapsed. And the undertow took us all under. And um, we were swimming and there was three 12 year olds, me, myself and my, me, my cousin and a friend of ours. And then there was an eight year old, my little cousin. And my cousin and I were passing my little cousin back and forth and neither of us could like really stay afloat when we were struggling. And I said, I can't take my little cousin. And I swam as hard as I could to the sandbar. And I pulled the, our friend up on the sandbar and my cousin was like struggling to keep my little cousin above water. And I looked and I tried to reach for my cousins and I couldn't, I couldn't grab them anymore. Like I, they were too far away, so I couldn't reach them. And my cousin's like bobbing up and down. And in between each bob, she would scream my name. And I was like paralyzed. And I just stood in the same spot and I screamed as loud as I could scream. But I'll never forget the last time I saw her face. I'll never forget the last time I saw her alive. And the last word she said was my name. I felt like I killed my cousin. I felt like I couldn't save her and I felt like it was my fault. It's good until it's not good anymore, right? It feels good until it doesn't. It works until it doesn't and like that's it. And I moved from Nebraska to Minnesota just to get treatment when I was 15. I got clean uh, in Minnesota when I was 15 and I was I slept the first four days coming <laughs> here waiting for a bed for the treatment center and uh, my dad actually picked me up on his birthday and brought me brought me up here and you know like if he wouldn't have got me I would probably be dead because I wanted to die. It felt real good when men told me I was pretty they wanted to take me out on dates. It felt real good and my addiction switched to sex. And um, it felt real good to be wanted. I ended up pregnant. I made a conscious choice to start drinking. I even talked to people in recovery and was like, I just really don't think I was an addict because um, 
I just didn't know better, right? Like now that I understand and I've grown so much, I I didn't I don't think I really had a problem and I never yeah. really had a problem with alcohol. I didn't I didn't ever really have a problem with alcohol until I did. And alcohol became my best fucking friend. Yeah. And worst enemy. I had a lot of shame around around um like m- myself and like my disease and not only that you know like i was closeted like for a long time meaning like i was sh- i was confused about my own sexuality right like i'm married to this man who's who's a decent human being he's a decent guy and i love him but i'm like super attracted to women and i have known this my entire life and i'm confused about this because like how can i love a man and like be attracted to women i hid my own sexuality and my own i kept my myself hidden um from like my own happiness because i was afraid i was afraid of what people would say i was afraid that the impact of me coming out as a queer woman would how that Im- would impact my kids and so instead of coming out i just like hit it in my alcoholism i came out gay and i came out and um i quickly was put into a category of a lesbian because I dated women now like and I I was confused because I I honestly felt like I had to pick a side and I felt like I had to like say that I was a lesbian and I didn't understand like I heard all the stories about people being bisexual and like people would say like bi people are dirty they're confused they're just they they it's not really real you know and there's like a lot of stereotypes around being bi i felt so ashamed and i felt so empty you know like there was nothing left inside of me i felt so empty it wasn't even like dark it was like nothing was there anymore and i wanted to die and instead of killing myself what i did like i was really on my way to go do that what i did was go to a and i had to say that i was an addict right and when i said it i cried like it was like holy shit i just surrendered i got three and a half years and um i'm so grateful i'm so grateful for what i've gotten back you know like i've completed my degree and i'm actually graduated in 2 weeks with my bachelor's degree i'm an advocate in the community for minnesota recovery and i'm an advocate for like out and sober welcome way out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the way out podcast we appreciate your ears our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out Podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, 
online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Every week, we'll be asking for your thoughts on next week's topic. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and this week, Jason brings us the straight-up compelling story of Kristen Massman. Kristen's story will grab you by the throat and not let go until right up to the end. Kristen, an unabashed bisexual woman, now over three years sober, shares her at times heart-wrenching and other times super relatable history in a truly authentic and vulnerable way. You will be captivated by the way her journey has led her from the proverbial gutter to self-discovery, self-acceptance, and her powerful ability to advocate for the development of a more inclusive culture in recovery and the community at large. One where everyone is welcomed, loved, and accepted as they are. For all of us who know what it's like to feel shame around who we truly are, and for all of us who have genuinely known the fear of living our authentic selves, who know what it's like to feel like an imposter in your own life, indeed, for all of us who know all too well what it's like to wrestle with addiction and alcoholism. This story is for you. So listen up. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Way Out Podcast, episode 181. I got Kristen Massman here, and uh, this is a good friend of mine from the beginning, and I don't see her enough anymore, but she was, for, she was there a lot in the beginning of my journey four years ago. What's up, Kristen? Hey, thanks for having me on the show today. Thanks for being here. I'm super stoked to hear all that you got to say. And I know I've heard quite a bit of your story, but I'm sure that I'm going to learn more today. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so, Kristen, what's uh, your clean date? October 16th, um, 2016. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I had to think about it for a minute. I'm like, oh, what is it? <laughs> I remember you coming into Thursday nights and just looking so perplexed. Mm. Yeah, in your yeah. leather jacket. <laughs> and all the guys were like checking you out. 
<laughs> it was so funny. That was happening. I didn't even notice. Yeah. I, well, it always had, you know how the dudes are a lot in a lot of the meetings. They're kind of like, you know, I was probably looking for the ladies to be checking me out, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> As we learned. Yeah. And that's all right, man. You know, <laughs> so like, let's, let's uh, hear about you. But I'd like to hear starting earlier, you know, like family of origin type stuff. Like, what was it like growing up and and uh, things like that? Yeah. First, like, I want to go back to that Thursday night meeting conversation we were just having. Do you remember? Do yeah. Do you remember when um, you were going through all that stuff and you didn't know if you were going to get gel time? Yeah. And we were standing outside. And I remember you were going to court that next week and you were so scared and you like had to have people write letters and um, the fear that you had. And the next week when I saw you, how like this relief was over you, it was so great. I just remember, I remember that. And I was just so glad because I was so worried that you were going to do gel time. Yeah. I was looking at 111 months. Yeah. It's still over my head. That's, uh, I got sentenced to 20 years probation. So, <laughs> but now look at you though. Like, look yeah, at it's you. not really a thing I'm worried about, right? Right. Then it was <laughs> standing on solid ground. Well, you know, by that point, too, that was early enough as well where I, I wasn't sure if I could sustain this anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Things are a lot different today. So. Yeah, I just remember yeah. that. It's really, it's really like I said, you were, that, you were there when I was all disheveled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is cool. It's been cool to watch. Um, so anyways, thanks for having me um, be a part of your journey and on your podcast. I think um, you have a lot to offer our community and all communities. Really, we all have a story, right? Amen. Yeah. Um, so to my story, uh, you know, my, I can like, I've always tried to like look back and pinpoint where, where did my disease start? <laughs> and the reality of it is, is like, it's been a part of my life the entire time, you know? Like I look back and um, one of my first childhood memories was peeking through one of those skeleton keyholes uh, in a door and just through that lining of the keyhole, I could see my mom naked mm. and with a man I didn't know and like white lines all over. And I was like, what? is going on and I was pounding on the door because I just wanted my mom and I didn't understand then what was happening but you know uh, as I entered into my own journey I can look back at a lot of memories and see where addiction took place in my life or showed up and um, that's that's where I first remember that's my first childhood memory was my mom getting doing drugs selling herself wow and then um 
you know, like I started, I, the, my first cigarette, I was like four years old. My hmm. sister was like, come on, Kristen, smoke this cigarette. And she's like 10. <laughs> <laughs> so she taught me how to smoke cigarettes at a young age. And I just remember coughing and coughing. And she was like, no, do it like this. So <laughs> I think I was like probably five, four or yeah. five. My dad used to have a bar in his basement when I was a kid and when he was married to his ex-wife, my sister's mom, and uh, they had a like dartboard down there and a tapper on the wall and he would have parties like pretty much every other weekend when I was there. That at least one of the nights was like having family or friends over and they were getting tossed up and it, my dad would give me little mugs of beer with like maybe an inch of some beer in there and I'd feel all cool. Like I was drinking with the grown ups, and then they would be, when they'd be hammered, they'd leave cigarettes burning in the ashtray and shit. So if they weren't paying attention, they set their cigarette down. I'd be like, they actually caught me a couple of times. I'm like choking on it. Yeah. And they they thought it was funny. So it was just normal. I guess I thought, (laughs) <laughs> that's what i thought too it was like normalized right like it's crazy what was normal for us but right <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so i definitely did not enjoy my smoking at a young age i got a little choked up <laughs> yeah but then you know my mom my mom uh she went to, she got in trouble you know and she ended up dropping me off at my grandparents' house with a black garbage bag full of stuff. Mm. And she was like, I'll be back. I'll be back to get you. And she didn't come back. She didn't come back for a long time. And I thought that I had done something wrong. Like I thought it was my fault that my mom left me. And um, I thought that like I hated myself because all I wanted was my mom. I was a little girl, just wanted my mom and she was gone. And I didn't even know if she was alive. I didn't know anything. And I, I didn't get to see her. I didn't get to talk to her. Um, and I just remember, you know, like having these thoughts in my head that it was my fault. Like, what did I do wrong? And like, I wanted to hurt myself because like I felt like it was truly my fault that my mom left me. And so I really struggled with that. Like all of Did your grandparents do just like kind of ignore it. No, you know, my, my grandparents tried to like, it turns out they were really trying to keep me away from her because she (laughs) she wasn't in a very good way. And, and my father, he, he was just newly married and like starting his new life. And, he couldn't take me yet. And so like, I was like, That's felt it's alone. Called responsibility, bro. You know, yeah. like, you're responsible. <laughs> His wife didn't want me yet. But, <sighs> so anyways, long story short. You don't got to make them short. Just so <laughs> uh, you know, you don't got to okay. make them short on here. So I end up, I end up going um, to live with my dad eventually because my grandpa was dying he had colon cancer Mm. and so i had to go my my grandma couldn't take care of me anymore and uh i went to live with my dad and his new wife and they were pregnant they and my older brother had already been living with him for a little while and 
um, my dad's wife was extremely abusive. Um, I wet the bed because, well, I was a kid and had some emotional distress that happened in my life. Probably had something to do with it. But I wet the bed, but my punishment for wetting the bed was to be like taken in the garage and like beaten with a belt. And I would have marks down the backside of my body from like my shoulder blades to my knee behind my knees from my dad's wife. Mm. Um, like anytime I did anything that she didn't like, even if it was like folding the towels wrong, um, not if I didn't clean good enough when she took the white glove and like touch things, and if right. there was still dust, like I would get beat. I would get beat for like writing on the wrong piece of paper. And wow. I would try to I would try to talk to my dad and tell him, you know, like she's hurting me. And then I would just get locked in my room. Um I went to I also went to a daycare center. My dad worked second shift. I went to a daycare center, so we were there, not center, but a home daycare. And at this home daycare, mm. um my brother would be, my brother was like um, pretty much tortured by the older kids that lived in that home uh, and sexually abused. And then in return, my brother sexually abused me. And so this was, this was like when I was six, seven years old. Yeah. And then I, I went to my dad and I'm like, dad, this is happening. You know, like we're being hurt here. We're being hurt at home. <laughs> and finally, like my dad left his wife and my mom actually came back into our my life when I was about eight years old. She came back and she was like getting her life together, you know, clean, right. got off of meth. Um, and as my dad like divorced his second wife and my that was the same time my mom came back into my life. And during that time, I just begged to be with my mom and because like I said, my mom was getting her shit together. Right. And then, and then uh, I ended up, I ended up moving in with my mom. My brother and I both ended up moving in with my mom and my mom didn't stay clean. And so now I'm like eight years old and I'm learning quickly what drugs look like and learning about weed and um, meth. And, um, so I was like nine years old or something when my mom's boyfriend taught me how to roll a blunt. <laughs> and um, that that's, you know, like you were talking about drinking beers. Like that's when I started like drinking all the leftover beers that were sitting on the table. And I remember just like that feeling of wanting to belong, you know, like I just wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be able to sit at the table with the grownups right. and like, yeah. And like hang out and like, I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be loved and uh, so I, I did, I want, I just tried to do what they were doing, you know, and eventually, um, well, like my mom's boyfriend started like beating 
beating her up in front of us. And he would like make me sit on his lap after he would beat my mom. Like he, he knocked out all her teeth and she would have bloody face and black eyes for days. And then he would just like make me sit on his lap and tell me how great I was and to never disrespect a man because this is what will happen to you. Wow. Uh, um, so. Damn. I didn't know how to deal with this. And what I saw was my mom doing drugs. And I thought that that was kind of like a normal thing. you know. Oh, yeah. It, it became really normal to me. All so, that shit was nor- your normal. Yeah. And so I just started participating. <sighs> and, um, you know, like it started with cigarettes. Then, you know, the leftover alcohol that was in people's drinks and smoke. Then it was smoking weed. And I was like, ah, I'm cool. Like I can smoke weed all day, every day. But as long as I don't touch meth, I'm going to be fine. Like I don't have a problem, right? Right. Those motherfuckers have a problem because they're shooting up meth. And I am, I'm just smoking weed. I have this under control. Yeah. And, you know, like that was my mentality. And I would go to school and like, I was, you know, (laughs) I I was so embarrassed because like I smelt like cigarette smoke, you know, every time I walked into school, I was the kid who smelt like smoke. I was the kid who didn't have nice clothes. Um, I lived in that trailer court. I was made fun of. And um, I would go to school and I hated going to school because I, I felt like I didn't belong. Like I didn't feel like that's where I should be. You know, like none of the kids understood what I was going through. Dude, you're telling my story, man. I mean, Dude, like, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was that kid too. <laughs> yeah, I was just a smelly fucking kid. And <laughs> like in my trailer, my trailer, you would turn on the lights. Like most of the time we didn't have running water, right? Like no running water. We would use a hose from the neighbor's house to like fill up water jugs or like our sink, whatever. Yeah. It was shit. And we didn't have heat most of the time. So we're lucky we didn't burn down our trailer with those like portable heaters. Right. And, and when you turn on the lights, when we had lights, when you turn on the lights, all the cockroaches would like go spread around. And I remember being in school. I remember being in school one day and my ear itched. There was a goddamn cockroach in my ear. Damn. Yeah, it was bad. Like I was definitely that smelly kid. I couldn't, even, I couldn't even take a shower and like the head lice that I had you know like I shaved my hair underneath because I just wanted to get rid of it and nobody would help me get rid of it so right. my my friend helped me cut my hair so she would help me get rid of the head lice wow uh, anyway so moving forward this is this is my life 9 10 11 and you know 12 years old the worst thing happened to me um i was i was hanging out with my cousin who's who lived about four miles down the road from me and uh she was my best friend and we were i was staying the night at her house and 
I used to always steal her dad's weed because he was an alcoholic and he ne- he didn't know what he had. So like he never knew it was missing when I would take it in there. So hmm. I, they lived by a bunch of cornfields. So we like like hung out in the cornfield and I just smoked a lot of weed and my cousin never smoked because she was like, nope, I'm not doing that. Like I want a different kind of life. But she she didn't put me down for doing it. Right. Um, and that night she like cried to me and she told me like, she told me about her father and like how he was sexually assaulting her. And um, this man, he's just a terrible, terrible guy. Um, and he didn't just do it to her, you know, like there was a lot of victims. Uh, anyway, so the next day we were like, uh, we're going to go swimming. They lived on the river. We're going to go swimming. And we were walking and like I tripped over a log. I was playing one of those little Game Boys, you know, the old school Game Boys. Yeah. I tripped over a log and I, fuck, the Game Boy flew. And I was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't go swimming today. Like I just feel off. Like I just feel like something's not right. And she was like, come on. There's four of us. And of course I went along with the crowd. Um, right. We go swimming and I had this stick with me, this like tall walking stick. So that way when we were walking in the water, like I could um, kind of guide my way. Right. And uh, it was her, myself, a friend of ours and my little cousin who was like four years younger than us. So she was like eight. Anyways, we're swimming and we're swimming and the water's like only up to our ankles. Not a big deal. So we just keep walking down the river and sandbar to sandbar, you know. And finally, I just was like, okay, this is dumb. I'm going to set this stick down on the sandbar. I actually ran it back to the sandbar, set it down, just in case we would need it, right? Right. <laughs> hmm. So the next sandbar we got to, we walked off, the, and the sandbar just collapsed. And the undertow took us all under. And... Um, we were swimming and, and uh, there was three 12 year olds, me, myself and my, me, my cousin and a friend of ours. And then there was an eight year old, my little cousin mm-hmm. and my cousin and I were passing my little cousin back and forth and neither of us could like really stay afloat and we're struggling. And I said, I can't take my little cousin. And I swam as hard as I could to the sandbar and I pulled the, our friend up on the sandbar and my cousin was like struggling to keep my little cousin above water. And I looked and I tried to reach for my cousins and I couldn't, I couldn't grab them anymore. Like they were too far away. So I couldn't reach them. And my cousin's like bobbing up and down and in between each Bob, she would scream my name. And I was like paralyzed and I just stood in the same spot and I screamed as loud as I could scream, but I'll never forget the last time I saw her face. I never forget the last time I saw her alive. And the last word she said was my name. Right. It, it like devastated me. Right. Like I felt like I killed my cousin. I felt like I couldn't save her and I felt like it was my fault. Right. And so um, I got out, we, we got out of the water. My friend and I got out of the water. They ended up getting my little cousin. They saved somebody on the river, saved my little cousin. 
but they couldn't get my my other cousin because she had gotten snagged on a log or something, you know. Um, Damn. And there was like multiple times where people were running by because there was a search party happening, and multiple times where people were running by, and I thought it was her, and it wasn't her. And my my aunt came down and she saw me. She because of course they called her at work. She came down and she saw me and she just beat the shit out of me, slapped me across my face, and was like, "I can't believe you did this." Um, wow. wow. And that something in me changed at that point. Like I became angry. Like I was angry and like, I didn't believe that there could be any kind of God or higher power or anything. And if there was like, why was I being punished? Um, Why would, why would this kind of God like let this happen to me? And um, why, why would they take, my cousin you know like she was such a kind person and didn't she she didn't even do drugs you know she like why didn't they take why didn't why didn't i die like i was the one messed up um survivor's guilt yeah it's a real it's real and i was so sad and so the best way i dealt with it was get high I'm and sure was, it ramped up after that. Yeah, I just turned really hard to drugs and, um, you know, it definitely increased from smoking weed to drinking to anything I can get my hands on to numb the pain, you know, from right. like, that's when like, I started committing a lot of crime and um, finding family and like gangs and yeah. um, the fast life you know robbing people and doing things that like i i never thought i would do i was the person i i was turning into the person i said i was never gonna be and i didn't feel the pain of like losing my cousin i just turned to anger i was just angry it was an angry person my nickname (laughs) my nickname in school became little tyson like, if you looked at me wrong, I was going to kick your ass. I would fight just to fight. It would make me feel better about my life and myself. I was mean. Like, I swore I was going to end up on one of those shows as an adult. Like, you wrecked my life, Maury style. Like, that was- <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, or some Jerry Springer or some shit. Oh, I could have been Jerry Springer. I, I, I could have. I could, I could definitely be on one of those shows. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> then. I don't think you could now. No, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, like, my, my drug addiction just, like, really spiraled out of control, you know? Like, I, would, I started down the p- pathway of meth and huffing gas and acid and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And yeah. I mean, once you get bit by the bug, it's like you really, if you even hear somebody talking about a drug that you haven't tried, you're like, huh, you got some, I want to try it. You know, yeah. like I want to <laughs> fucking do it all. I want to do it all. You know, that was the way I was too. Like, nothing was good enough to shut it all off. I mean, sometimes, no. sometimes you could shut it off for a little while, maybe feel like good for a little while, but my motto was this, like, 
try everything at least twice, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> because the first time could have been bad because of somebody else ruined it. Or... Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that was my motto. Oh, God. Dude, yeah. Did you ever, like, do pre-game rituals? Like, I would get candles set up and, like, an ambiance going, like, get the place smelling good, get it, get it like, all peaceful, and, like, go shopping for supplies and shit, and then and then it'd be, like, time to get fucked up, and it would be, like, I made it, like, a, you know, paradise, like, perfect environment. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Like, you wanted it to be a good environment. Oh, <laughs> uh, so especially the with time. the acid and shit. You're right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Shit. So, um, uh, so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't have a lot of good times, but I'll also tell you this, man, like, you can only do so much of that shit in your life. And then it's, and I don't think it's just with acid, but acid definitely my experience was like after a certain point, I couldn't do anymore without having a bad trip, but any, I swear like any substance eventually stops doing, you know, what makes you feel good and takes like a really weird t turn like on. You know? No. And that's like a great that you're exactly right. It's like, it's good until it's not good anymore. Right. It mm -hmm. feels good until it doesn't, it works until it doesn't. And like, that's it. And that's the difference between subs. Like I'm not just addicted to a certain drug, you know, like I am, I am truly have the disease of addiction. Right. And like my story will tell you that it's not, it's not a certain substance that I've been addicted to. It's a disease, right? Mm -hmm. It's in me. And gratefully I found recovery, but, and what me. does it say? It'll manifest itself in your life in many ways. Like, yeah. I think it says that in the big book or something, you know, like our character defects, our addictive personalities, it'll, as we progress in the, if, if you get into recovery and you're progressing along good and you're working hard on yourself, it's just natural that you're going to see that shit cropping up in other areas because, you know, really you got to like replace you got to replace the shit that you quit with something else. Right. And like we make some pretty stupid mistakes, I think in the replacements that we find for a while, you know, no, I they, still make mistakes that are pretty stupid, but <laughs> no, you're exactly right. The, the, the thing that, so like what happened for me is my addiction really ramped up, right? Like I learned how to really get fucked up and I did yeah. a, I did a lot of shitty things and, um, it was real easy for me to get high because my family did it, you know, like I didn't have to go far. Right. And it was accepting for me to do it. And so like the thing, the thing about it, my, you could do meth a certain way. And as long as you did it a certain way, you didn't have a problem. That's the way my family thought. Right. Once I started doing it the way that my family wasn't doing it, or people in my life weren't doing it, then, then I all of a sudden you're up. fucking up. Yeah, then I'm fucking up. Thank God I started doing it the wrong way, because I mean, I, I was I weighed ninety three pounds and I was five eight, and yeah. I mean, that's that's sick. Yeah, and I was fifteen years old, yeah. and I went to I moved from Nebraska to Minnesota just to get treatment when I was 15 mm. and I went into this treatment center called Anthony Lewis Center and it's a treatment center 
that specializes for adolescent, it's an adolescent treatment center. And now actually um, it's even focusing more on the mental health aspect of the, of substance abuse. Co-occurring um, disorders. Yeah. The comorbidities mm. of it. And so um, anyway, so that's why I went to treatment when I was 15 uh, and came from Nebraska to here and uh, 90 pounds. 90 pounds. Guess what my minimum weight was? Um, <laughs> 125. Oh my God. Damn, girl, that's pretty good. Am I right? 120. Yeah. And it was like, I thought I looked good. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> shit. I was chiseled, you know? Oh. And really, like, yeah, You're- I would I would be wearing, like, some of the weirdest shit, too. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. It's so weird how we how distorted our perception is, you know, that we can think we look good when we literally look like we're fucking wasting away to Dying, everybody else. Right? And we think nobody knows, right? Like, cause we're so normal, you know? Well, not only that though, <laughs> Jason, like think about it. Like what was normal to you? Like I was right. not that fucked up compared to some of the people I saw, you know, True. some of the people I was around, some of the things they were doing were way worse than me. So like really, I didn't really have that big of a problem. Right. So in my world, I was pretty, I was all right. Yeah, man. Until I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll never forget, like, my mom, I recently asked my mom this question, right? Because, like, um, I asked my mom this question. I'm like, Mom, I, I OD'd, and you were there, and you wouldn't take me to the hospital. Like, I almost died. She wouldn't take me to the hospital. She didn't want me to go to the hospital because why do you think she didn't want me to go to the hospital? (laughs) She didn't want to get in trouble. Right. So, like, her and some people, like, gave me shit and, like, helped me to, like, come back. But, like, still, I'm lucky to be alive. And my mom watched me almost die and was too afraid to bring me to the hospital because she would have been in trouble, you know? Would they give you like adrenaline shot or did they give you like, you know, just another illegal drug to counteract the shit you took too much of? Yeah. They gave me another drug to counteract it. Dude, that's how I used to roll, man. I was like always sitting on a bunch of different shit because I didn't want to feel the down slide of anything i didn't want to feel the shitty part right right so i always had you know ups and downs and fucking (laughs) which every which way is (laughs) yeah and this time specifically i mean i i knew like i went down and like i just remember like waking coming to a little bit and like i was naked in the shower like they were trying to like Bring me back. Yeah. Cold? Cold water? Cold as fuck. (laughs) Damn. And of course, it was some nasty man (sighs) helping my mom do this. And I was like, I'm fucking dying. Anyways, so shortly after, uh, it was probably like within six months of that, I ended up in rehab. But And I came up to Minnesota, right? So like, I got off meth. I'm going to tell you, I haven't touched... I haven't touched meth um, for since I was 15 years old. Wow. And 
even going back in my addiction, which I'll tell you more about, but I never went back to touching that. But what I can say is it wasn't easy. And I got clean in Minnesota when I was 15. And I was, I slept the first four days coming here, (laughs) waiting for a bed for the treatment center. And uh, my dad actually picked me up on his birthday and brought me, brought me up here. And, you know, like if he wouldn't have got me, I would probably be dead because I wanted to die. You know, like I was done. I, right. I hated my life. I hated myself because I thought I killed my cousin. Yeah. You beg and for it. You pray for it. Yeah. You wish, just, you wish for it. I wanted to die. And, and it would be so mad. much easier if I could so just die, easier. right? Instead of having to like fucking do it myself <laughs> or whatever. No, yeah. Like I did some, I wanted to die and I wanted to die getting high. Like mm. I wanted to end my life and I did it and I tried and it didn't work and it didn't work. And I ended up in treatment and I, uh, I was like that crabby ass person in the corner, like, fuck this. This isn't going to work. I'll do what I have to do. And then finally something clicked in treatment, you know, as it does sometimes for some of us lucky people. Yeah. What do they say? Don't leave before the miracle happens. Like all of a sudden it's like you have a light bulb. Yes. Yeah. So I remember I had to pick a higher power. And of course I already told you, I don't like God. And, um, I picked my higher power and it was a fucking light switch or something in that treatment. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, Oh, well actually maybe it's going to be the light fixture because at least there's some light, you know, it's shining anyway. So that became my higher power, honestly. And that's my smart ass. That's what took me through treatment. And I, you know, you have to work the first few steps because it's a 12 step. It was a 12 step uh, treatment center and I did it. And you know, towards the end of my treatment I'm like wait I'm learning about like people that aren't as fucked up like as fucked up as me and I'm like learning that there's a different way to live and I'm learning that like, people can really be doctors and like lawyers and people can really have these nice houses and people can have a life and like not worry about who's going to kill them because you rob somebody or you how many times have I been shot at? You know, like I didn't know I could worry, like not worry about walking down the street, you know? Right. And, and, and even if you grow up in the fucking gutter, there's hope for your life and you could, yeah. you could have a bigger purpose than you ever thought possible. Ever thought possible. And I didn't know, I didn't know that I deserved a different way. Yeah. I didn't know that I was worth it. Nobody told me that, but something clicked in treatment like that last week. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. You're telling me that I have a chance. You're telling me that I really can be some, like I can do something in this life. So that's what, that's what I did, Jason, when I left treatment, I got registered at a sober high school. I went, I went to a sober high school. I, I involved myself into like sober activities and I worked a 12 step program and I uh, did all that. I did. I did. Uh, did it all. I didn't work the steps that well. That well it took <laughs> some time. Right. Um, I was young and stubborn. I was also. I didn't 
do well with people telling me what to do because I never had anybody telling me what to do. And it was hard adjustment for me, especially trying to live with my dad. It was a battle. I ended up homeless on the streets in Minneapolis, but I stayed clean. Wow. Um, I stayed clean through that. And it was people in the program and people I had met at my school that like helped guide me. And like, I didn't, I didn't know how to do this thing called life. Right. And I didn't definitely didn't know how to do it without drugs. And so I, I reached out to people in the program and I reached out to like people at the school I went to and I got involved with this group that was called Project Solo. I don't, they're no longer around, but it was a homeless, a homeless teen organization. And basically they taught me all the skills needed to like live on my own from balancing a checkbook to um, putting out a kitchen fire, grocery shopping, all that. And in fact, like they would take a certain amount of money from me and put it into a savings account for me. And this worker that I was assigned to through this program believed in me so much that she ended up co-signing her own fucking name on my first apartment lease when I was 16 years old. What? (laughs) Like nobody's ever believed in me and I sure the hell wasn't going to let this person down. Because like she gave me a chance, right? She got me off, helped me get off the streets and believed in me enough to put her name out there. Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's way cool. So here I am, 16, sober, in my own apartment. What? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And um, like we talked about before, our addiction switches, right? Like I was off drugs. But I'm going to tell you what, it felt real good when people paid attention to me. It felt real good when men told me I was pretty. When they wanted to take me out on dates. It felt real good and my addiction switched to sex. And um, it felt real good to be wanted. And I ended up pregnant. Um, And... uh, when I called my dad and he's like, dad, I'm pregnant. He's like, do you want the money for an abortion? I'm like, I don't really believe that uh, abortions will work for me. I, I mean, I definitely believe in a woman's right to choose. Just throw that out there. But for right. me, my, my choice was not to have an abortion. Right. And, and so I ended up having my, having my daughter um, when I was 17. I had her. I graduated high school, single mom, um, and I, I just kept doing it. Like, I still kept pushing through, and I kept working pro- the program, and I did have a relapse after I had my daughter. I ended up drinking um, and smoking, and I did that, like, every weekend for a few, uh, for like a couple months when she was young. And then one morning I woke up and I swear to God, I woke up and I felt like shit. And I went into my bathroom and I looked in the mirror and it was my mom's, it was my mom. It was a reflection of my mom I saw, (laughs) not me. And I was like, fuck, that was it. Like I was like, no. And I just went all in again in recovery and my life got so good. 
Um, it got so good that I decided, like, my life got so good. I, I went to this young parenting class, and I learned how to be a mom, and I learned all the skills I needed to, like, be a good mom, and I got the support in that area. I was in college. Um, I was enrolled. I was going to Augsburg University, actually, um, for communication and marketing, and uh, I met I had a, I had a really good job. I met my ex-husband, um, and I ended up falling in love and, um, pregnant again. And we bought a house together and like had the whole like picket fence. And my ex-husband, he was a normal, normal person. Uh, he just drank occasionally for fun. Um, and I, I was like, the more I spent time with him and his friends and they were like all having fun, going to happy hour and doing like the normal people life. I was like, well, I'm probably just normal. I probably just didn't know that I had a problem. I mean, I just didn't know right from wrong because no one fucking taught me, Jason. Yeah, like, yeah. No one taught me that, that drugs were wrong, right? Like my <laughs> mom taught me how to do drugs, not right. not what to not to do and <laughs> like i'm like wait a minute so I, I probably didn't really have a problem and that addict in me convinced well now i know this but i, I convinced right. myself that i didn't have a problem well to be honest you were trying something that you never really tried before yeah. some controlled drinking <laughs> yes controlled drinking and i controlled the shit out of that i'm like <laughs> what Did i you? controlled the shit out of that so much i don't even like really remember much of like fucking 12 years of my life wow i got i uh i i said i'm gonna start drinking i mean i made a conscious choice to start drinking i even talked to people in recovery and was like i just really don't think i was an addict because um I just didn't know better, right? Like now that I understand and I've grown so much, I I didn't I don't think I really had a problem and I never really had a problem with alcohol. I didn't I didn't ever really have a problem with alcohol until I did. And alcohol became my best fucking friend. Yeah. And worst enemy. And at first it started off like I'll just drink um twice a month. Right? Like, I'll put that shit on the calendar. Can't wait to get to that day. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to drink like once a weekend, right? Once a week, it's fine. I got this shit under control. Yeah, that's normal. That's normal. And yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you what's not normal is putting it on the calendar when you can drink or not drink. I'll tell exactly. you what's not normal is counting how many drinks you've had because you can only have so many but then right. you have another one anyways. Like, right. That's not normal. I'll tell you what's not normal is when you get to the point where you have to wake up in the morning and have a drink just to function, right? Right. And I was good at functioning. And from the outside, like, my life looked good, you know? Like, I could hold it together and I could, I could look pretty on the outside. And I did that. I did that pretty well, you know? Like, I showed up for my kids half-ass. I showed up in my marriage half. I showed up 
you know, like our drinking, my ex-husband and I, we drank a lot together, you know, and um, I started working at the bar, which did not help. So I was drinking while I worked. I was drinking on my way home. Um, And I, I was enjoying the party life. And um, I no longer kept track of how much I could or couldn't drink because I drank every day pretty much. And like, I couldn't wait until I was done with my mom responsibilities, like having to drive my kids around or whatever, because then I could really get fucked up and have to show up to the outside world. I, I wasn't a good employee. I, I shouldn't have ever kept my job. Um, you know, the thing is, is I'm a nurse yeah. and like people's, people's lives are in my hands, you know, like, and I could have hurt a lot of people. I didn't, but I could have. Right. And um, my alcoholism like took over, like it took over. i never touched a hard drug again, but I'm telling you that alcohol was the worst of the drugs I've ever done. Um, the way it controlled me, the way I needed it to function. I didn't know how to have conversations with people without having a drink. Like I had to go, my pre, I had to pregame the pregame, the pregame, right? Like, oh, I, yeah. So that I, way nobody knows how much you're drinking. Nobody knows how much I drink and like I can talk to people. I'm yeah. the life of the party until I'm not anymore. Until I'm <laughs> a complete fool. Right. And so like really it took my life from me. It took it. And, um, it took, it took time to get to that point, but the, the last time I drank, it was like that day I woke up and I was like, I'm not drinking today. I'm not drinking today. My oldest daughter, you know, she looked, she looked at me, she was like going on a trip for school or something. And she looked at me and she was, she was just pissed off. And she was like, you know what, mom, you know what I hate? I hate when you call me names when you've been drinking. I hate when you call me names. It was like, she just stabbed me. Because the worst thing is, Jason, is I don't remember calling her names. Right. In my head, I'm a good mom, right? Like, I'm doing it. Yeah. But she has a a different story, you know? And, like, she said that to me, and I was like, get out of here. (laughs) Go, go these things like that are, um, you know, quite honestly, it's like, it's a good illustration of how powerful our ability as human beings to rationalize, justify, minimize, um, reframe things in a different perspective. That's easier to live with, uh, you know, lying to ourselves, deluding ourselves to the point where we can lay our heads down at night, man. And we can walk around with our head held up somewhat high, you know, and it's, it's sad, it's, it but it's sad. really, it's survival mechanisms. You know what it I is, mean? It's definitely survival. And that's what you learn to do is survive. And right. the thing is, is like that day I was like, Like I had woke up that day and I was like, I am not going to drink. Like I was, you know how many times you try to quit 
I don't know if you experienced this, but I tried to quit drinking so many times. Or I would I would be able to stop for a week and then I would celebrate. Guess how I'd celebrate? I get yep, fucked up. Yeah, because I earned week, this right? shit. I earned this shit. <laughs> I'm getting fucked up. Totally. Oh, I just had to prove to myself that, that uh, I could quit for a week. That I wasn't like, yeah, an alcoholic. Or an addict, right? right? Yeah, like I had to prove that I wasn't. I was the king of one crutch to another, dude. I'd always switch. I'd be like, oh, shit. You know, that cocaine, that's getting pretty crazy now. A little scary. So I'm just going to, you know, drink for a while. (laughs) Yep. Just kept switching from one thing to another. That was my my moment. Yeah. So in this time, though, like, I had a lot of shame around, around, um, like, myself and, like, my disease and... Not only that, you know, like I was closeted like for a long time, meaning like I was a sh- I was confused about my own sexuality, right? Like I'm married to this man who's who's a decent human being. He's a decent guy and I love him, but I'm like super attracted to women and I have known this my entire life. Right. And I'm confused about this because like, how can I love a man and like be attracted to women? Like you hear stories, like you got to pick a side. You can't love both. Like people are just fucking confused. And so like, I was confused. Like, how could this be a thing? And I, I didn't want, (laughs) I didn't want to be attracted to women and I didn't want to cause more chaos in my life. That's what I felt like would happen if I ever like came out. You know, like what would that do to my kids? Right. And so like I hid my own sexuality and my own, I kept my, myself hidden um, from like my own happiness because I was afraid. I was afraid of what people would say. I was afraid that the impact of me coming out as a queer woman would, how that would impact my kids. And so instead of coming out, I just like hid it. And isn't that, isn't that kind of sad too? That's like ego all the way. Like not to say that our actions or life's lifestyle choices can't, uh, you know, hurt or impact others, but, but to think that it was going to be, you know, to make it built up in your mind, like it was going to be this super devastating thing for everybody. If they knew, uh, you, you trapped yourself into this. And I mean, maybe you even, kind of subconsciously we're doing that when you got married in the first place, you know, trying to fit some cookie cutter image of what a woman's supposed to be. You know what I mean? That's exactly what I did. Like I fit, I had the cookie cutter fucking life when I got married and I was like, Mm. I'm, I'm what, like I'm an addict and I'm good at pretending, right? Like I can do something to like make myself look good. You know, like I didn't want people to know the real and I wanted that. I thought I wanted that cookie cutter life because like I didn't have that. Remember like I had cockroaches coming out of my ears and I had no running water and no heat. Like I wanted to provide that for my kid. Well, and like you talked earlier about when you were in your first treatment and, and how much that lady believed in you and worked with you and, and that you for the first time in your life had a hope, right? That like you could be something right. And you didn't have to stay in the gutter. Uh, you know, you probably, you getting married, uh, and having that, that, you know, adopting that type of lifestyle, that was like the polar opposite of what you grew up in. So you were like, bam, you know, like I made it like, 
in your head, I could imagine you were like, hell yeah, you know, like this is what I wanted because that's what society kind of like deems as like the normal, like, or the ideal life, right? Yeah. Even though and you I, are also I an individual it. with your own needs and yeah. your own, you know, everything. And so the crazy thing is, is Jason, I got it. And I was like, bam, I'm here. And bam, I hate it. This like, sucks. This is not me. This is not me. This is not the life I want. This is not me. Right. And so I was committed to somebody and I was committed to providing a better life for my kids. And I robbed myself like yeah. in that and I drank because I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to deal with, with it. And so right. in, in my alcoholism, I came out gay and I came out and um, I quickly was put into a category of a lesbian because I dated women now. Like, and I, I was confused because I, I honestly felt like I had to pick a side and I felt like I had to like, say that I was a lesbian and I didn't understand like I heard all the stories about people being bisexual and like people would say like bi people are dirty they're confused they <laughs> they're just they they it's not really real you know and there's like a lot of stereotypes around being bi yeah. and so I didn't want to deal with that either so like basically the label of a lesbian was put on me because I started dating women and Anyways, so the, there's a. So how do, oh, oh, can we back up a second? How did your husband and your kids take it when you came out? Well, I was I got divorced or was separated when I came out, um, and he was like, "Yeah, you're not, you're not," and I'm like, "Actually, I like women too," and he didn't believe me, and he didn't. I think it was more like he just didn't want to believe it, you know, and he took it personal like he wasn't man enough or something in which it's that wasn't the case it was that i needed to find myself right. and be true to myself and when my kids found out they cried my oldest daughter cried and she laid in my lap and she put her head there and she just like cried for a while and that was like the end of it right like that was it she cried and i don't know if she was like mourning Losing what she stepdad maybe uh, I don't think oh, that so. was the dad. No, that wasn't her dad. Okay. It was her stepdad. Um, but it wasn't that she, it was just like the normalized, but then that was it. And then she started fighting for me, like fighting my, for my rights and like, nice advocating like, on your, she behalf. started advocating and being my ally and it was super cool. And like our cool. relationship it grew, you know, and exact opposite of what you thought. Right. Right. How you scared yourself out of out being of being true to yourself. Myself. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, so that brings me to my daughter. My alcoholism still progressed in this, right? Even though, like, I was learning how to live my true self, it wasn't easy. And I was already drinking a lot, and drinking was um, is really normalized in the queer community, right? Like, a, there's a lot of addiction and mental illness in the LGBTQ. Right. community and there's a lot of addiction a lot um there's a lot of like not feeling a part of not being accepted um a lot of that 
Anyway, so my daughter looked at me that day and she's like, mom, I hate when you call me names when you're drunk. And like I said to you, Jason, I don't remember calling her names, you know? Right. And so I was confused. And even though I had said I wasn't going to drink that day, I drank and I drank a lot. I drank because I didn't want to feel the pain I felt because I was letting my daughter down. You know, the people that I love the most, the people that fight for me, I was letting her down and I was really angry at myself. So that day I drank and I, the last thing I remember is it was around the time where that Ghostbuster movie came out with the all women cast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, I thought I was part of that movie. That's what I remember my last time drinking. I thought I was part of the Ghostbuster movie and I was like on somebody's kitchen fucking table, like getting all the ghosts and like, that's how <laughs> fucked up I was. And I think it was probably like five o'clock and, in the afternoon that my ass ended up at home. I think I'm not really sure. I don't know how I got home. I don't really remember how everything went, which wasn't an uncommon experience for me. Right. And uh, that next day I know I woke up and I went downstairs in my house and I was like, I am so ashamed of myself. I felt so ashamed and I felt so empty, you know, like there was nothing left inside of me. I felt so empty. It wasn't even like dark. It was like nothing was there anymore. And I wanted to die. That's it. That's all I wanted. And so (laughs) I had a plan to like get in my car kill myself and instead what are you gonna do like drive off a bridge or something yeah you know because that's the easiest solution or just drive into a tree tree yeah some random shit yeah i used to think about that shit all the time or like i always had train tracks in my backyard so i can remember like thinking about like i just lay down here and like you know, put some you, headphones in use one of the rails as like a pillow and just like go to sleep man and like it'll come and cut my head off <laughs> you know like i always think about that kind of crap all the time yeah so that was my last time that's the last time i drank though that's the last time and instead of killing myself what i did like i was really on my way to go do that what i did was go to a meeting nice that's yeah. kind of similar to how I was on my knees with this knife in my throat. And I was like screaming, help me. And I really meant like, help me kill myself. And then I ended up like putting down the fucking knife and picking up the phone, you know? And then yeah. all of a sudden I'm like all attentive. He's like, I'm going to tell you this stuff. And there's like, write this down. And I was like, hold on a second. And I'm like, chum, chum, like grabbing, you know, notebook and a pen and i'm like all like eagerly writing it and i was all about everything he said like for the first time in life i'm like yep 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 i'll do it i don't care what you know he could have told me to run down the street naked and i would have ran down the street naked you know what i mean that's exactly yep that's where i was it was like i was either i seriously i was to the point where i didn't want to live but i couldn't i didn't do it you know yeah. I, I actually called my brother who is and active, actively using. And um, he came to a meeting with me. I'm sure he, like I picked him up and he like came to with me and sat with me. And I sat in that meeting in the corner and I sat there and when it got to me, you know, you go to a meeting, you have to say your name and 
and I had to say it. I had to say it, and I was so mad because I had control over my disease, and I wasn't a fucking addict, and I had to say that I was an addict. Right. And when I said it, I cried. Like, it was like, holy shit, I just surrendered. Like, I and just... Then you knew, then you knew it's true. Fuck. It's true. <laughs> I really have. It just took me, it took me a long time. I lost right. a lot of time. Right. Um, this time around to really confirm that I have a disease. To really confirm. But you know what? You're still young and vibrant and full of life. And look at you now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and now, like, life is, what you know, I got three and a half years, three and a half years, and um, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful for what I've gotten back, you know, like, I've completed my degree, and I'm actually graduated in two weeks with my bachelor's degree. That's um, awesome. Yeah, Congratulations. that's, thank you, it's super cool, and uh, I'm I'm an advocate in the community for you know Minnesota recovery, and I'm an advocate for like out and sober, and so, um, out and what's the, yeah what's the link for out and sober? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's out and sober Minnesota. It's MN out and sober MN dot org, and what that is is uh, a nonprofit that I'm on, and it is connecting people that are. LGBTQ are identified under that umbrella um, to resources within the recovery community. So whether it's like housing or um, ju- just like that extra support that that com- this community needs, the LGBTQ needs. And then we also like put on events. Um, so there's sober, queer friendly events that people can go to. And it's, it's a pretty cool thing. It's been around for like 30 years. It has? Yeah. That's I thought big, it was like newer, but I guess they're just starting to like, you know. So like, it's all ran by a fucking addicts. So <laughs> go back out, you know, and it, it yeah. disappears, like stops and people stop. But it is actually a nonprofit 501c. And um, it's, it's mostly been a lot of gay men that have been on it. And um, now there's women. Hell yeah. Yeah. Coming for you. But we're and I was at, I was at the recovery advocacy seminar and you were one of the, the uh, f- panel of five that were um, there and did a little segment speaking about this. And you guys should have seen Kristen, man. She was up there. She was like the freaking tip of the spear, you know, like she was kind of like fielding a lot of the questions. You could tell a lot of them other people that were up there with her were nervous and she probably was nervous too. She was up there all fidgety and shit, but she was taking these answers and she was given really good answers, man. And it was, it was cool to see you. It was cool to see you up there and doing your part, you know, and, and using your voice and, and being like you said, like loud and proud about, about who you really are, you know, uh, that's a big, big, big change from what we were just talking about when you were, you know, still in your alcoholism. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it was huge. And like, so with that, like the out and sober thing, we're putting together an um, event called Sober Seduction. And basically it's like a fundraiser for out and sober and it'll be like burlesque, drag. Uh, it'll, it'll be a variety show and entertainment. Uh, and it will, So your girl will be at that one. Yes, she's she's producing it. (laughs) The cool thing is, is like, we don't have to stop having fun because we're sober or not drinking or doing drugs. Like we get this, the reason why we stop is to get our life back. And like, it's important to find sober activities in recovery. And um, so I am a huge advocate to work towards creating sober events, um, events that aren't around or you know just focused around alcohol especially right um but yeah so that that will be coming we're going to try to get that going in september for during recovery month yeah so that event will be coming up so that'll be cool and another nonprofit board that i'm on is called bisexual organizing project and this is like really touching true to my heart because these two boards um are what my life is about. And Bisexual Organizing Project just really brings awareness that uh, awareness of the bisexual community that we don't have to pick a side, that we exist. And, right. um, we're and it's lar- okay to like, you love know, you can pussy or whatever. Yeah. Pardon my language. <laughs> no, to love, love who you love. And yeah, like, everyone, right? It doesn't matter. You don't have to pick. And I didn't know that honestly, I didn't have to pick a side. I didn't realize that. And it wasn't, wasn't until I met my partner in recovery that like, I just never, I tried to never put a label on myself. Other society put a label on me and I just went with it and I never corrected them. And today I'm starting to correct people because I think it's important for visibility to people, for people to see, like I can say that I'm bisexual and it's okay, you know, right. and there's somebody else out there who was felt like me, who felt confused. Like, why do I love a man and love a woman? Why am I sexually attracted to both? And that's okay. Right. You don't have to pick sides and it's okay to be who you are and it's okay to love who you want to love. And it feels really good to like be able to be part of an organization that really promotes that visibility. Yeah. Is that is there a website for that? Bisexualorganizingproject.org. Oh, well, that's easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so right like, because this are, stuff I I, I kind of collect it as we go. I'm taking notes about all these cool things that you do, you know, and I'll put it in the show notes so that people can just click it'll be a clickable link, you know, for each thing. Yeah. Right there. Booyah. Yeah, easy quick connect. There's, there's more, there's more that will be coming up with, with um, us. We're doing a lot of education around um, the queer community and like pronouns and understanding and how to be a real true ally too. So uh, like people don't understand like the, I, I know like we talked about this a little bit at the, MRC about how to be a better ally for the queer community. Like it's important to make space feel inclusive of everybody. And 
people think that that's automatically happening and it's not like mm-hmm. there's been many times I've walked into spaces that should feel welcoming and I, I want to leave or I do leave because it doesn't feel so welcoming. I feel right. judged or I feel like I don't fit. So mm-hmm. creating inclusive space for everybody is important. Right. And just because you think that everybody feels like they should feel welcome doesn't mean they are. So remember, like if you see somebody that looks different, like go up to that person, get them a hug, you know, make sure that you do your part. And that's a huge thing for me is doing my part to like make everybody feel welcomed and loved in everywhere that I go. Because the big thing about addiction is like the missed connection, right? Like, we're lacking that connection and feeling a part of, cause I talked about that from the very beginning of my story. I wanted to sit at that table and I wanted to be a part of getting high. I wanted to be a part of my own family. And that's what I had to do to feel a part of. Right. And I still want to feel a part of even in my recovery. So like I want everybody coming in and everybody who's been here for a long time to feel a part of, and right. I will do my part to make sure that that happens. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love it when you start getting fired up over Uh this stuff. It's good. It's good. Um, So, yeah, I got those down. That sounds pretty cool. Like, did you go to that uh, drag show at 2218 that they had a while ago? It was the first ever, dude. Like, first ever. Peter, my last interview, our last episode, it's it's actually not even out yet. But it'll be out tomorrow, I think. my buddy Peter Solberg, he's the vice president up there at, mm-hmm. on the board at 2218, and mm-hmm. he also plans the events. He's been planning all sorts of different types of stuff that's never happened there before. So now once a week they do Soberoki, I think it's Wednesday nights or something, and then they do uh, they did that drag show, man, and it was a big fundraiser thing. And it went really cool. I went down there just to throw a couple bucks in the kitty and check it out. You know, not really my thing per se, but I, I, you know, I'm not afraid to go be around it, you know, or like check it out. And we watched the show and it was a lot of fun joking around with them because, you know, all the performers are kind of hanging out and they had like a bar, like a cocktail bar that were there making like fancy you know, cocktails. yes, that's what it was called. I was going to say like fizzy drinks, but <laughs> whatever. Um, no, it was good times and, uh, they raised a bunch of money and I guess they got another one coming up. So I'll have to let you know if, if I see that I'll, uh, shoot yeah, you the links. Sure. So, shoot me the link. Yeah. And maybe, too. and maybe you and your girl could, uh, or you, you could have your girl connect with him and maybe they could get something going over there too, like yeah, this sober seduction thing. Yeah, so that that event will just be primarily a fundraiser for out and sober. The right, but I mean, once it's already been produced and all the they did all that work and practice, why not like throw more than one, right? Yeah, for sure. We Hell we yeah. do we do uh, we do a lot of like nonprofit work with the fundraising stuff. She's done four things called but four four productions called Bilesque, which is the same thing pretty much as Sober Seduction, but rather than um, people being in recovery, it's it's people that identify non-monosexual and um, 
So bisexual, the, you mean? Yeah. Is bisexual, that the new word for bisexual? No, it just means the ability to love more than one gender. You know, so bisexual is ability. So if you there, there's a lot of language around right. these the terms, but truly, bisexual is kind of like a, a large umbrella term to um, like a lot of different names that go under there. So right. it's just the ability to love people more than one gender. More than I just one. never heard that word before. Non-monosexual? Non-monosexual. So the not monosexual is one. One. Yeah, I know that. I knew that. <laughs> yeah, so non, yeah. non, it would be like. So it's, it doesn't have, that's why I said, is that a new word for bisexual? No, not necessarily. It's just more of an umbrella term. So meaning kind of, yeah. So all the performers are non-monosexual. They identify under the bisexual community or umbrella, which right. has a lot of different names. Right and. On a lot of people don't necessarily understand um, this community. So exhibit A. Yeah. I was like, I was like that word. What does that word mean? You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot to learn, a lot to learn. And that's why we're putting together some workshops to teach that. Right. And, and like you said too, like not only just teach people so they can have a better understanding, but also to teach people how to, uh, make more inclusive uh, events more inc- and be more inclusive and more welcoming, you know, like to people also, you know, like in the general, you know, just walk about your life, like learning to be more understanding and accepting of all different types of people. Exactly. You know? And like educate yourself so you can be an ally, just like people in recovery, you know, family members want to want to be allies to their their loved ones that are in recovery the same like with our community the queer community like it just adds another layer of pain right Right. another layer of not being accepted so right what you can do even if you don't identify under any under the lgbtq just to take time to educate to create that inclusive space and to make sure that you're making everybody feel welcome And like, thank you for allowing me to come on and talk about that a little bit too. Hell yeah. Yeah. I support you 150, 200%. 200. 200. (laughs) Can you go more than that? I just support you infinity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I, I, like I said, I'm really proud of you, man. Like you've, uh, you've, been up to a lot of stuff i mean you didn't have this stuff going on really when we last recovery month when i seen you at the capitol it was you know i did a little mini interview with you if you guys have listened to that episode it was 31 mini four question interviews with people that were at the walk for recovery at minnesota state capitol there was like six thousand addicts alcoholics up in that place and allies and supporters of people in recovery at that event and that was awesome i ran into you on the steps when we were doing the big picture and i was like telling you what i was doing and i'm like you want to do one and you're like yeah okay yeah it was cool so then i was just like i i was part of 
actually that's when I reconnected with Out and Sober and that within like two, that's where I reconnected with that organization. And, um, two weeks later I was at a board meeting and nice. then I was on the board and then I was like, okay. <laughs> and do, um, do you wear a lady suit now? I, I, <laughs> I am board. <laughs> You're I, board member. I do wear lady suits. Chairman. As, well, I don't chairman know. If of the board. Or what would that, what would the, uh, politically correct term be instead of chairman of the board, like chairperson of the board. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a board member, not chair, co-chair. Not oh, snap. Co-chair. Not sure. I'm just, just a board member, bro. Or it could be a director. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Fancy pants. Masking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that addict go. <laughs> Actually it. person in recovery, right? Oh yeah, the proper term. Absolutely. (laughs) So, how cool is that too? Like at the Minnesota Recovery um, Advocate Training, we were talking, really talking about using the proper terminology to build each other up, right? right? And yourself. And I really loved uh, when Wendy was talking about that, and she was talking about um, identifying as a person in long-term recovery. And I was like. Yes. It was super deep because, and it's so true, like, and it's on a, such a subconscious level, the way that our language um, affects us. And I'm not saying that I feel necessarily shameful when I go into like a meeting and I say, I'm Jason, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and addict, addict, alcoholic, whatever, you know, but, uh, you know, she was saying that when you, when you're used to using that that terminology for yourself that it's like your identity, like, you know, and um, so in a sense, you're almost like rewiring your brain to think you have a different identity than you've always thought. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. By, by switching that language and sure it doesn't happen overnight. And I sure as hell don't, I think too, though, like they also mentioned that, you know, in the room of an AA meeting, go ahead and call yourself an alcoholic if you want, but um, I mean, if you really want to take that some next level shit, just like try to pick up this new type of style of language, you know, that recovery elevator speech language out into your daily and into your, into your meetings and everything. Because I mean, if you're trying to f- what, like input good things, right? Right. Exactly. Cause, cause I got to make- replace all that bad shit. <laughs> yeah. Like we want to make change, right. And like, the way to make change is breaking habits. Even in recovery, like we have a choice to break old learned behaviors, right? And yeah. um, I self-identifying as an addict. Yeah, that I definitely am an addict. And I also work in the medical field around a lot of important um, surgeons and things like that. And the judgment that is automatically passed when I say I'm a re- I'm an addict, they're like, oh shit, like, are they going to steal my patient's pills or whatever, right. you know? So like to be able to say I'm a person in long-term recovery, I thought that was genius because mm-hmm. you get to like start a conversation. Yeah, I'm a person in long-term recovery and I suffered from the disease of addiction, Right. Right. Or like when it was talking about instead of using like words like relapse, using like recurrence of symptoms mm-hmm. or or uh, what was the other one that I really liked that they said, oh, it's going to bug me if I don't remember it. But 
they said I, some other thing that was like, damn, that's good. But like working in the medical field, right? Like same thing goes. Like if you if you're diabetic and you don't take your insulin, you're going to die. And same thing, if you don't do what you need to do to stay in recovery and Mm -hmm. feel right and feed your soul, you're going to die. So like looking at- Oh, I remember what it was. It was the, uh, when they showed that pie chart and it was talking about like that study where they called, uh, they, they used two different terms for people that were in the study. And it was like substance user- or substance abuser. Mm-hmm. And then the other term was person with a substance use disorder. Right. Oh, yeah. And, but that was both terms were in reference to a person who was actively using. Um, and, and the difference in your reaction to those. Right. And it was yeah. like, that was what their study was about. And it was like uh, talking about how medical professionals, their training is more, the for the former than the latter, right? Like substance abuser, uh, mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So when you go in and you ask for help and you're seeking help and you use that type of language about yourself, it's like their education training kind of kicks in and they unwittingly don't give you the caliber of service that you deserve, or they won't offer certain resources because they think because of their training that it was a choice. Remember that? Like that that it was like a, you know, like you're choosing to kill yourself. Yeah. Like the alcoholic who she talked about the example of like the alcoholic who is going to die. The doctor was like, you're going to die. You need to quit drinking. But that person wanted help and they didn't offer them any because they thought about it like it was a choice instead of thinking of it like it was a recurrence of a symptom of a disease, which this is, which it's been proven, you know? <laughs> right. Over and over. So it's like, yeah, so much power in that stuff. It was really, I always love going to those things when they throw big events like that. And it's just all, you always learn so much. And even if you've learned it before, it's good to refresh, you know, because there's so much to learn. It's like easy to kind of forget. You know, you can only take in so much at a time and you know, you can only hold so much. So like the more you hear it, the more it becomes normalized. So absolutely. And I think like, that's exactly what touching on that substance use disorder instead of a substance abuser, like that's the same thing with saying like I'm a person in long-term recovery compared to I'm an addict. People look at you and we're like, "Mm, you're an addict. Are you actively using? What does this mean? You know, even I'm a recovering addict. Or people will just be like, you straight up just said you actively use, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is total example. I posted something on, you know, the other day and I started it think with this is not my clean date but i haven't touched right anything other than alcohol and then this dude since march 6 2016 and then this dude commented on it and he's like well that doesn't work you can't be drinking and call yourself person recovery and blah blah blah. and i and so i commented back i said i don't drink bro i got four years from that on july in july of this did, did you see my i think i read that i think i responded to that and he know. was like no bro you straight up said that you drink and so maybe you want to reword it 
And so I did, I just added mine right after I had put, this is not my clean date. I just put mine is July 23rd, 2016. And that's all I changed about it. And then I said, thank you, man, for uh, looking out. And I changed it, uh, you know, but I, I was really at first like, wow, this dude's kind of being a dick. And, and then I'm like, where, you know, I don't know, man. Some people just get super serious about stuff and, and yeah. they want to like, you know, it's just the way people perceive it. So how can we be? Yeah. I didn't even think that somebody would see it that way. I yeah. guess I assume that a lot of people know my journey though. Cause I'm yeah. pretty out there with it, but maybe he's a newer member. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who I am. Has no idea who I am because everybody else is like, hell yeah, you know, like people know my story. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've had that. <laughs> I saw that. That's funny. Yeah. But well, it was cool. We got to get along about it. And I didn't. No, that's a good thing is like just take it. But what I've learned is assume best intent. Oh, I like that. Always. And um, easier and said you- than done. Yeah, but if you can truly try to, before you have a reaction, assume best intent, then um, typically you won't get as defensive, you know? Yeah. So, let's see. I want to ask you if, you, you know, if there's any specific literature that really, like, was life-changing for you or helped you immensely that you would like to recommend um i i did um work the 12 steps through a recovery program and i feel like that changed my life tremendously um i feel like it doesn't matter what 12-step program you go through um understanding them and just applying them in your life will change. There was a woman that told me when I was a young, young in recovery, you know, like when I was the first, the first go around, she, she would always say, Kristen, don't give up before the miracle happens. Just like we kind of started this whole conversation. So like, this is a, this is a conversation that I've had my entire recovery Right. And I never understood Jason what that meant and it would piss me off because I'm like the miracles never fucking happening. <laughs> It'll never happen. It's never happening. Why isn't the miracle happening? And like I, it's yeah. because I always gave up. Now now <laughs> I know that, right? Because this time around I actually did everything that this 12 step program I worked and I'm a part of. I did everything that they told me to do and I worked the steps all the way through and i was like holy shit the miracles keep happening (laughs) this is what they were talking about this is what they're talking about 90 percent of those little sayings piss you off until you do the work and then it it takes on like a personal a deep personal significance to you you know now that saying has a place in your personal experience and you and you can identify with it now it's like i love that but yeah. yeah, I used to want to like break some of those things hanging on the wall. I'd be like, shut up. Something else, Jason, that I've learned in, in this time being in recovery is like truly learning who I am as a person and being okay with it, you know? And so like anybody who struggles with their sexual identity and like um, 
the internal thoughts, like what's wrong with me or why do, why do I have these feelings about this person or that person? And like really coming to terms with who I am in my sexual, sexually has been a huge, huge thing that I've embraced. And, um, I love it, you know, and loving people for where they are in their life, in their journey and, uh, personal therapy has changed my life. Like I've done some EMDR work, um, which kind of like takes you back to childhood memories and takes you back and forth between your logic and emotional side of your brain and teaches you. I've learned a lot of, new behaviors or behavioral therapy to learn how to navigate my feelings and my emotions. So between the 12 steps, lots of therapy, um, lots of writing, speaking and carrying the message of hope, you know, and like, you don't have to stay stuck. You can climb out. Uh, you don't have to let this define who you are. Um, or you can own that shit. And I really feel like I'm owning it. Like I'm owning that I am, as Wendy says, a person in long-term recovery. And I am a bisexual woman. And I am okay today. And not one single thing defines who I am. There's a lot to me. Yeah. You know, I think it's awesome that you you've come to a place of internal peace with yourself and who you are. And, and uh, you know, you're on this path of self-discovery and I'm sure you're still discovering. I know I am. I'm I'm always discovering and learning about me and who the hell am I? What do I like? What don't I like? You know, it's, it's a process. And it's okay. It's okay if it changes. Yeah. And it's, and it it, will. it can be tough, right? But I love it. I love that, you know, you mentioned that, you know, not only, you know, working a 12 step program, but, but taking a holistic approach to that. And, and, you know, it's okay to need professional help. It's okay to write and, and to use your voice and speak and do these things because they're forms of self-expression and the more we talk about uh, everything, the more power we gain and the more, mm-hmm. you know, the more we find that our experience can help others. And, and that's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like when you realize like, wow, cause I know I used to be like, who's going to ever want to listen to, I ain't talking to nobody about none of this stuff and who'd want to listen to it anyway. And you know, if I do X, Y, and Z is going to happen. Right. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, F that. But now I know that when I speak, it's like people actually get engaged and they care. And then I find out too that they're not, that I'm not alone because they, that gives people permission to open up about their story. Right. And it's just cool how that works, man. And then, yeah. The, that more, just ha- the more we talk, the more you realize that you're not alone in it and the more people can help each other. Yeah. That just happened this morning. You know, I was at an event and, person next to me was like you don't drink right and i'm like no me either it's been almost five years <laughs> it was just like a conversation we nice. we've interacted multiple times but we didn't know like we need a code word or something yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's awesome 
Yeah. <laughs> like I, I remember I was at something and I seen this car, man, and it looked like a total stoner hippie wagon type car. It was a PT cruiser, but it was like decked out with all these stickers and their hippie balls hanging in there and like all sorts of weird shit. And then I, it was like a public event. So I went in there and then I ended up talking to this lady and she was total gypsy woman. And I figured that was her whip. Oh yeah. It was at a drinking or a, it was like a alcohol awareness month thing uh, at Hennepin County College. I went, I went and did a table for MRC. <laughs> oh, <laughs> doing, really? Doing outreach, yeah. And this lady was like doing a table for some other place. But yeah, it was funny because when we went outside and we were all leaving the event, I was like, I knew that was your car. And <laughs> but it said friend of Bill, friend of Bill and friend Bob's Bill. on yeah. one of the bumper stickers and. Yeah, I was like, man, I knew that was your car because <laughs> she was like working at AA stand or something. I don't know what that story had anything to do with what we were talking about, but whatever. <laughs> that happens. I was actually, it's funny how you can like just pass judgment based on people. Like I, I do that often, like look at people driving by and I will just like wonder what their life's about. <laughs> but, I already yeah. know what you're about. Yeah. I already know. You better keep driving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, so as far as um, any other, do you have any other like resources you want to share? Another another thing that I'd also really encourage in helping to keep uh, sobriety would be like exercising and like um, physical and activity is super important. It releases, it releases the same type of chemical in your brain as using drugs. So, um, doing, Dopamine. yeah. So doing those, doing those exercises is super important. Right. Yeah. That's my, that's my medical coming out in me. So yeah, working nurse, out. Nurse, nurse Kristen. Kristen, not nurse Jackie. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. All right. Well, I don't know if there's nothing else. I suppose we could wrap this up. Yeah. Thank you for having me on here, Jason. Yeah. Hell yeah. And that was super powerful. Like I knew I was going to learn more, but you really kind of floored me on this one, man. I didn't know a lot about the earlier stuff. You know, I knew about the booze. I knew about the pretty much everything from like pregnancy on. I kind of knew all that story, but I did not know that earlier stuff and that's thank you for being so open and transparent about that yeah and i really appreciate your honesty um and i'm really proud of you that you can talk about that stuff without losing your shit too i mean well i know that i know how that goes i i couldn't talk about a lot of my stuff without just breaking down in the beginning of this journey and now i can you know, I'm actually doing it tonight. I'm going to go talk to some people at a treatment center and, you know, I can talk about all that hard stuff and like not even really bat an eye almost, but yeah, it's something special. Yeah. You know? It's important. It's important because people have gone through it. So we want them to not feel alone. We Amen. want them to not feel alone. So and every time we be it. sharing our stuff, then it loses its power a little bit too. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you take care of yourself and it's always a pleasure to talk to you.
right. Say goodbye to all the people out there. Bye. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.